for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 7. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and everyone said, please welcome Dr. Wade Paschal. Thanks, John. I was reminded that in, when we were in Ardmore, I was, uh, which, where I served before I came to First Tulsa, they had a, an old sanctuary with a big, big horseshoe balcony. And, I, and Sandy said to me one day, she said, you realize that all the guys under that balcony are fast asleep as soon as you start preaching, don't you? <laughs> so if you fall asleep, that's okay. You won't be the first. Um, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. We invite you to come to open our eyes and our ears to hear your, the word that you have for us this morning. To make our heart tender, ready to receive, and our mind ready to understand. May Christ be honored and lifted up in all we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was at Ardmore, I had a little group of boys that I met with, and uh, one day I decided to raise the, the topic of, of, of the resurrection, the kingdom of heaven, heaven, and said, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think that will be like? And I noticed immediately there was a distinct lack of enthusiasm. And they finally said, well, and finally said, well, I guess heaven will be, you know, like a, like a never-ending uh, church service. <clears throat> and I could see the problem. You could too, right? You know, uh, you know these boys thought that a one-hour worship service was about 55 minutes too long. And uh, it was just not their fondest hope to think that heaven would be like that for eternity and eternity. And so I asked the boys, what would you look forward to? And they, we kicked around a few things, and they finally came up. They said, heaven would be cool if heaven were a golf course in the mountains where we could play forever. Well, the whole idea of the new heaven and the new earth should be so exciting and so moving that we are driven, driven to desire more and more of God. We are looking forward to the kingdom of God like a child looks forward to going to Disney World, like a farmer looks forward to the harvest, like a family looks forward to the child being born, like a football player looks forward to the Super Bowl. John's vision intends to kind of raise that kind of anticipation. 
So let's take the end of chapter 20 in Revelation and look at that as kind of the first part of this two-part vision in 20 through 22. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And when I saw the first, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book were open, was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged, according to what they had done was recorded in the book of life. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Now, I would be surprised that it, if at least some of you were not at least a little uncomfortable when I read those verses, maybe embarrassed, because the idea of judgment uh, and anyone being thrown into a lake of fire, frankly, doesn't sit very well with modern people. The idea of God judging people eternally, it, it kind of it upsets our sense of fairness. I mean, what could we do in our lives that would deserve eternal punishment? It just seems like, as we say, cruel and unusual punishment. Well, I want you to think of two things. First, remember that John is writing to Christians. He is not writing to non-Christians. He is not saying to non-Christians, you're going to be thrown in the lake of sulfur and fire. Ha, 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 He's not. That's not his purpose here. Instead, this vision says to Christians, everything that sets itself up against God Everything that makes it impossible for good to exist has to go because God wants to renew this creation and bring life. Goodness and life cannot be fully realized until evil is done away with. And secondly, I want you to remember that, that John is seeing a vision. What he sees is real, but at the same time it has a symbolic meaning. In, in Revelation 4, John sees Jesus as the, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who was slain before the throne. That doesn't mean that Jesus has wool. That doesn't mean he's a sheep. It means he is a sacrifice given for us. We can compare what John is seeing to a tradition that we have in our own life in, in hospitals. You know, if a person has cancer, when the last treatment is done, when the chemo and the radiation are over and the scans have come back and they're pronounced you know, clean of cancer, they go to the hospital ward and they ring the bell and everybody cheers and claps because cancer has been defeated and this person can now look forward to a time of life and health. And that's good. The lake of fire and sulfur means that God is going to cleanse and heal this world of everything that is evil and destructive. And it's not so much an image of punishment as it is an image of complete purification. Before you ring the bell, you got to kill the cancer. The chemo and the radiation destroy the life-killing cancer cells, and God's judgment removes the evil that plagues and kills life on this earth. Think about it. What would it be like if we no longer felt outside pressure to, to do things and to be a certain way that kind of undermines the best of life. I had a friend whose son went into the world of investment banking, and his young man was a Christian, and he told his dad, you know, I went into the banking hoping that I could, I could change the pit. That's how he described it, the pit. He said, but I found out that the pit changed me. The world and the devil put tremendous outside pressure on us. 
making us conform to its values, to seek and what everybody else is seeking, to hate what everybody else is hating, to ignore what everybody else is ignoring. And what if that pressure just went away? Wouldn't that be a relief? And what if that pressure that's within us, that's part of our personalities to react and to, and to receive things in the wrong way and to, and, to, and to do things that we later regret, what if that went away too? N.T. Wright talks about a young friend of his that uh, became a Christian, went home and told his mom. His mom was a little, little concerned you know, that he had become a part of a cult. And she said, you've been brainwashed. And the young man knew just what to say. He said, mom, mom if you could see my brain, you knew you would know it needs a good washing. Anger, resentment, jealousy, envy. You and I, we find ourselves in the midst of reactions, that, the feelings that we have before we can think about it, that make us do things that embarrass us, that bring grief in our life. Sandy and I love to watch English murder mysteries. And it amuses us because inevitably they catch the murderer and he or she will say, I had to do it. You know, because they were going to take my money, because they were going to leave me, because they were going to embarrass me, something made me do it. And that's the way we think all the time, isn't it? You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, I had to get mad. Somebody embarrasses you and says, I, I, I had to lie or I'd have been so embarrassed. I had to run away because otherwise it would be terrifying to me. What if we didn't have to? What if... The only pressure that existed in our life to feel this or do this came from the love of God flowing into our life. When that happens, I think we'll finally be free to be the person we really want to be. That's the message of the judgment. God will destroy every power in this world that brings death and darkness so that we can live in the power of God's love. We can ring the bell. We can embrace life. That's image one. Death and evil are defeated. Image two comes in the passage that we read earlier. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. God promises a new heaven, a new earth, replacing the earth and heaven we know now. And that's been a dream since the Old Testament. Isaiah 65, verse 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. I suspect that if we ask the average Christian, what is the resurrection, what, what's heaven all about, they would say something like, well, you know, after we die, we go to heaven, and we get spiritual bodies, we become spiritual beings, and, uh, you know, kind of like the angels. John is saying the opposite. In the final resurrection, what happens is not that we go up to heaven, but that heaven comes down and joins earth. In the first creation, God created the heavens and the earth, but in the new creation, God moves heaven into the earth. In the first creation, God said, let there be light, but in the new creation, God becomes our very light. The resurrection does not mean that we have a spiritual existence instead of a physical existence. Rather, we go from a physical existence, which depends on our own strength and power and will, and which is therefore doomed to be caught up into failure and decay and death. 
We go from that to a physical existence that's filled with God's life and God's spirit, and which is always growing and going from one degree of glory to another, as Paul says. Note what God says from the throne. Revelation 21.5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He did not say, I'm making all new things. Rather, John says, I'm making everything new. The earth is not destroyed, it's transformed. Everything on earth is preserved and changed. We will have bodies, but there'll be new bodies. We'll have personalities, but there'll be renewed personalities. We will live in an earth made new and right. Uh, I love my mom. I don't think I've ever seen a person face death with the faith and courage that my mom showed when, when she died in 2012. In a crisis, mom was amazing. But she also struggled with deep insecurity all of her life. She always felt that she was the least pretty of three sisters born in one family, the least bright of three sisters born into one family. And, you know, there were times when that insecurity kind of came out. But when I see mom in the resurrection, that will all be gone. She will be confident and happy in who she is. I will look at her and I will say, way to go, mom. I knew this is the person you could be. I knew that you had this glory in you all the time. There were times I wondered, you know, but, but I, I, I really hoped and I knew it was there. When John describes the new earth in, in chapters 21 and 22, the only thing he can do is to turn to things that are precious and beautiful that we know in creation. He says, the new heaven and new earth is going to be like gold and jewels and pearls. The, the new city of God will be built of stuff like that. Because in the new creation, nothing will be ordinary. Even the walls of the city and the streets that we walk on will be more precious and more beautiful than we can imagine. The most common thing, the most ordinary moment will become magnificent. We have wonderful moments in our lives. I remember when our son Trey was born, we were in Cambridge, England, and we were in a little room in the maternity hospital there. It was just Sandy and me and our, our midwife, who was, happened to be a Vietnamese immigrant. And so that when Trey was born, he was the only Englishman in the, in the building, or in the room anyway. And after he was born, the midwife took Clay, she, Trey, she cleaned him up, wrapped him in blankets, gave him to Sandy, and, and we just sat there and looked at him with awe. We were kind of afraid to hold him. Sandy was afraid. She was definitely afraid for me to hold him with good reason. And this was one of the best moments of our life. It was magnificent. So much of life is filled with moments that we, we don't remember, you know, uh, just things we don't notice. We get up, we eat, we wash dishes, we clean clothes. But in the resurrection, every moment becomes extraordinary. A time of new birth, a time of wonder beyond words. And everywhere at all times, God will be present. Again, remember in the first creation, we read this, Genesis 3.8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Here is God seeking to be with his creatures, but it's already messed up. There's already separation happening between God and humanity. But in the new creation, this is what we read. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. 
If you think about the construction of the Jerusalem temple, the old Jerusalem, it emphasized separation. It had first an outer court of Gentiles. If you were Gentile, that's as far as you could go. Then there was a court of men inside that. If you were a male, that was as far as you could go. Inside that was the holy place. And if you were a priest, you could go that far and no further. Inside of that was the holy of holies. And into that room, one person could go, the high priest, one day of year. The Jerusalem temple told people, most of you will never get close to God. But in the resurrection, God is always with us. Nothing separates us from God's promises and God's goodness and God's presence. I hope you've had a moment where God spoke to your heart and said, you know, I'm with you. And you know in your heart, yes, there is a God. If you've had the tiniest, briefest experience of the presence of God, what I want you to know is in the resurrection, that tiny, brief experience is going to be multiplied and experienced over and over and over again. And John says that more than anything else, the new heaven and the new earth will feel like a marriage ceremony, like a wedding. Verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Marriage has always been an act which extends creation. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Out of two people comes something new, something joined together, and out of those two becomes more and more so that life expands and fills all of creation. That was the plan for marriage. The new heaven, new earth is not some static, frozen perfection. Rather, the new heaven and new earth really starts creation again, promising more and more creativity, more and more good things, filling all of creation. Look at what's at the center of the new Jerusalem. Chapter 22, verses 1 through 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, and on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The New Jerusalem doesn't have a temple. It doesn't need the altar and the sacrifices. Instead, the center of this New Jerusalem is a tree of life and a river of life, bringing healing and fruit for everybody. Right now, life is good, at least in its moments, you know. Uh, we enjoy our work. Uh, we enjoy our families most of the time. <laughs> we, we, we drink in the beauty of creation, and, and we have the thrill of putting our talents to work uh, when we're not worried about bills or we're not overwhelmed by the stress. But when heaven joins earth, we go from strength to strength and from joy to joy. When Sandy and I got married, we got married in a little church here in North Tulsa, uh, my grandfather officiated with our, our mentor uh, that we, from our college ministry. And I would show you pictures of it, but I know that the 1970s hairdos and clothes would leave you with nightmares for weeks. <laughs> At the end of the uh, ceremony, we kind of sailed down the central aisle of the church, and Sandy looked at me and said, let's do this again. And my thought, you're nuts. <laughs> I was good to get it through the first time, you know, but, but as right, as usual, she was right, you know, because I had married a beautiful bride 
And we were surrounded by a loving family and friends. And it was such a great moment. It hinted at all the wonderful moments that lay ahead of us as a couple. The three children we would have and raise, the work that we would do, the experiences that we would share. Of course, there's been sorrow and disappointment and sadness, but Sandy was right. It was a wonderful moment promising many more wonderful moments. And the resurrection promises an extended eternity of that. To quote uh, N.T. Wright, Heaven and earth, it seems, are not poles apart needing to be separated forever. When all the children of heaven have been rescued from this wicked earth, Nor are they simply different ways of looking at the same thing as would be implied by some kinds of pantheism. No, they're different, radically different, but they are made for each other in the same way as male and female. And when they finally come together, that will be a cause for rejoicing in the same way that a wedding is. A creational sign that God's project is going forward, that opposite poles within creation are made for union, not competition. That love and not hate have the last word in the universe. That fruitfulness and not sterility is God's will for creation. And now John sees that beyond any human marriage, God is going to make all things new, make life nothing but wonder and love and healing. Life which just keeps getting bigger and stronger and fuller and more blessed. And that's what God is promising. Not an eternal worship service, though Uh, There'll be plenty of worship going on. You can't help but praise God when things are that good, and it's not going to be boring. But a new creation, a holy marriage, more and more love and healing in life. Now, how do we get ready for such wonder? Well, let me reach to you the last two verses of our passage again. Verses 6 and 7. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment to the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. These, again, fill a vision that Isaiah had. Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Come to me, says God. Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? I have food, I have drink that will fill you like nothing you can imagine. How do we get ready for the resurrection? John is telling us, thirst for God. Do things, put yourself in places where you develop your thirst for God and live in your thirst for God. Take the deepest wants and desires of your heart and instead of chasing the things that Babylon and Rome offer, things like money and power and pleasure, pour out your hungers to God. Because really, that's what they're there for. To lead us to the source of all good things. Professor James K.A. Smith said this in a recent lecture. He said, the problem with idolatry is that it is ultimately futile. We enjoy something that we're supposed to be using. We put eternal values on created things, settling 
on things that were created instead of using them as pointers to the Creator. Disordered love is like falling in love with the boat and forgetting the destination. Friends, we become what we love. Love God, and we become love. Love anything in place of God, and we embrace the decay and the death that inevitably comes with this world. We need love. We need what God has to offer. Do we want to be ready for the resurrection? What, what we need to do is to take our, our thirst, our longings, our desires, and, and, and pivot towards God's and give them to Him and let God fill us. Uh, recently, I was, I was at a meeting, going to a meeting, and I knew there was a potential for some conflict. And I'm an old linebacker, you know. My, my, my tendency in combat, or in, yeah, that tells you, it? My, t- my tendency in conflict is to tackle somebody and run them over. <laughs> and, and I realized that, you know, normally going to something like this, I obsess over what I'm going to say, what other people say. Uh, I, I build up anxiety and aggression. I didn't want to go there. I didn't, I didn't want to live that way. I wanted to lift up Christ and live for Him and not have to, to be like I often am. And Sandy shared with me a, a passage, just something I could repeat and meditate on as I traveled over to the meeting and came back. Micah 7, 7 through 9. This is what it says, But as for me... I watch in the hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will hear me. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. And driving over, I just went through this several times, trying to memorize it, trying to put it in my heart. And when I got to the meeting, instead of being anxious, instead of worrying about what I would say or they would say and responding to things that might have been critical or negative, I just, I just waited and hoped for the Lord. And my God was my Savior. You know, the, you don't have to make yourself thirsty. Thirst comes naturally. You will have wants. You will have desires. You'll have situations in which you feel yourself being pulled one way or the other. You're not sure to go. And to get ready for the resurrection, what God wants you to do is just take that thirst and pivot it towards God. Use people, use whatever God puts in your life, but look for your longings. Take your thirst to God, because when we do that, we're preparing our hearts for the resurrection. That, that gives God a chance to pour his spirit into you and give you little bits of heaven that eventually is going to be all we have. Let us pray. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship and community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.